John chapter 10. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs up some other way, that person is a thief and a robber. But he who enters uh, by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. <coughs> to him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought, uh, brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger will they not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, they will be saved and go in and out and find pasture. Amen. These are good words. We're going to look at that. Dear Jesus, I pray by your Holy Spirit who is the anointing, who's the truth, who's in us, that he would guide us and just reveal to us all that we have since we have Christ. If there's anyone here that doesn't know you, they've not entered you as the door to eternal life, I pray today they would pass from death to life. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So thieves and robbers, another way. Thieves and robbers. Liars. It's like fake news, like misinformation. Jesus does not give five-star ratings or good reviews towards liars, right? If, if Jesus had a Yelp account, he would not be giving a lot of good reviews to liars and thieves and robbers. In fact, he links the devil and Satan to being the father of all of them. John 8, 44, up on the screen. You are of your father, the devil. And he was telling this to the Pharisees who had the first five books of the Bible memorized. They thought it was their gnosis that was going to get them or what they did or did not do that was going to get them into eternal life. And Jesus says, no, it's, it's your birth. It's not your behavior. You're of your father, the devil, and you will uh, do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning. He does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Look, can a Christian be misinformed and tell a lie here and there? Yeah, that, yeah. But when you are deliberately lying to people and you're deliberately misguiding them on purpose, and your campaign is either like character assassination or uh, just to malign the truth or to go against the gospel or to go against Christians or to go against people that want justice uh, for all. When your campaign is just based on lies, you better, you better believe that Jesus is saying their DNA and their family tree traces right back to the father of lies, Satan. Yeah, we could, we could, we could slip up and tell a lie. You know, when a kid, you know, hated you, told you not to eat those cookies out of the cookie jar, and they got crumbs all over their face and chocolate smeared, and the lid's a little cattywampus on the cookie jar. Did you eat the cookies? No, Mom, I didn't. Okay, we, okay. 
That's, you know, we've all probably done it. If you said you've never lied, you just told your first one. Liar. <laughs> we've all done it. But those of us that name the name of Christ, we're born again. We got birthed out of the father of lies into the family of truth. Acts chapter 13 and verse 10. And he said unto him, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, you will not stop making crooked the paths of the Lord. And so you see this satanic thread here to where the devil just, he uses a campaign of deceit and, and lies. And, he's, and what he's robbing and stealing are people's years. You know, when you, when you hear a lie and you believe a lie, it takes a long time to undo that. When we would see people get saved out of cults, you'd have to like deprogram them. That takes years. And it's like the devil is robbing and thieving years off of people's lives when they believe, uh, when they believe that which is false. Here was a fear of the Apostle Paul, 2 Corinthians 11. He says, I'm afraid, I fear, lest by any means as the serpent, the devil, beguiled and tricked by lies and deceit, Eve, well, with his craftiness, look at those words, beguiled and crafty. So your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity and the purity that is in Christ. There's a simplicity in Christ, so simple, Jesus plus nothing equals everything for life. The devil would come along and say, too good to be true, too easy. Oh, you just received Jesus and that's all? Oh, Adam and Eve, it's just you and Eve and Eve and Adam and God in the garden. Do you think that's enough? So craftiness, deceit. Oh, Christian, you just have Jesus and your, your humble little Bible, right? You need more. You need more than Jesus. So they make it Jesus plus something equals more, but... The goalpost always moves. The, the metric always changes. It can't just be as simple as, G if Christ is all you have, Christ is all you need. It can't be that simple according to the devil, according to the liars, and according to the thieves. They want to rob you. They want to rip you off. And I'm not just talking about your finances. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, who's coming, this is the Antichrist, is according to the working of Satan, with all power and signs and lying wonders. We're talking a great deal about him on Sunday nights because in uh, Revelation chapter 13, we're at the Mark of the Beast chapter. This is interesting. And with all deceit of unrighteousness in those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth. Who's the truth? It's not like they, I don't love two plus two equals four. That's not absolute, Right? I love it when people say, oh, there's no absolute truth. Really? You just made it? Are you absolutely certain there's no absolute truth? So, with all deceit in those who perish because they didn't receive the love of the truth so that they might be saved. And then he goes on in that chapter because that chapter, chapter 2, is about the rapture of the Antichrist, the temple that's rebuilt, him claiming to be God in the flesh. That's all happening in uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. But a couple verses later, it says that they believe a strong delusion. And I looked up a strong delusion, and a delusion has the idea, you've heard of that like in, in you know, when people study uh, delusional behavior and stuff like that and behavioral psychology. But delusion is, according to the scriptural context, 
is they believed a lie, and even with their, when they're confronted with the truth, they're still going to go with the lie, even when they're presented with the truth. Therefore, they're given over to something greater than the lie, which is a delusion. And, and it's almost like, even in 2 Peter chapter 3, when he says, you know, uh, where the people say, where's the promise of Jesus' second return? You know, and it, and it says that, for this they were willingly ignorant. Willingly ignorant? How many people have you seen that are so willingly ignorant where you're like, wait, here's the facts. Wait, here's the science. I think Christians of all people should be for good science because the word science just means knowledge, right? The greatest scientists of the world were Christians. The greatest ones. The greatest minds the world have ever produced were Christians because they looked at science and knowledge on how did God create the world? Okay, let's observe it. Okay, let's record our data. Okay, let's confirm our hypothesis. That's all they did. They weren't discovering anything new. They were just discovering everything that God had already created. And so they approached it correctly. Kepler, Newton, uh, Watts, uh, Pascal, some of my favorites. There's more. I mean, there's tons of them. Anyways, John 10.10. We didn't read it in John, but we'll get there next week. The thief doesn't come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. As the antithesis, Jesus says, I have come so they might have life and they might have it more abundantly. I'm going to save this verse because I really just want to focus on just the abundant life in another message. But I want to just show you that it's in the context here, uh, right after Jesus, that I'm the door. If you come in, you'll be saved. So climbing up some other way. Another way has been going on ever since the fall of mankind. People have been coming to God on their own terms for thousands of years. It's nothing new. Religion started, I believe, way back in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve and the fig leaves. They were trying to come to God on their terms. You know, they'll cover their sin their way and their own effort by their own methodology. Cain and Abel. um, Cain came to God on his terms. He thought it was by works. Abel thought it was by sacrifice, by by the death of a lamb. But Cain thought, no, it's by the sweat of your brow. It's by your effort. It's by your performance. It's by your behavior. It's by your your discipline. It's by, you know, everything that religion stands for um, is what Cain was representing. The Tower of Babel was shortly after, and they thought the same thing. Let's, Let's build and work our way up into heaven. So basically, religion is man's attempt to reach up to God, whereas relationship with Christ is God reaching down to to man, coming in the form of the man, and dying as man, and dying for man, and then entering any man or woman that would receive Christ by faith alone um, through the finished work of Christ alone. So the devil has been lying to mankind ever since the beginning, telling people they become their own God, uh, they could follow some false prophet, some weird religious leader, some cult doctrine or whatever, as long as you just don't put your faith alone in Christ alone. Those are the lies. That's the thievery, right? And Jesus says, if you're going to go up some other way, some alternative, if you're going to find some workaround to the gospel, you're deceiving yourself. You're believing a lie. And you'll spend many years, many years will be robbed on your limited life already, 
in vain attempts to climb up some other way. Don't spend the effort. So he's been selling and peddling lies and creating uh, thieves to steal our years in vain attempts to get what you could only get by grace. His system is trying. Jesus is trusting. His system is achieving. Jesus is, is receiving. His system is works-based. Jesus is finished, is in the finished work of the cross. His system is self-righteousness. Jesus is savior righteousness. His system is behave unto, unto eternal life. Jesus is believe unto eternal life. So when the question of question is asked, the answer always comes back the same. What must I do to have eternal life? Right? The question of questions. What must I do? What must I do? It's got to be something I could do. The question always came back. It's believe. Look at these next ones. Acts chapter 16, verse 30. After he led them out of the, the jail, he asked, what must I do to be saved? And they replied, have faith, believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved. This is also true for everyone who lives in your home, everyone who lives in the world. They came to Jesus in John chapter 6, verse 28. Um, after he had fed everyone, you know, with the, the, loaves, of, uh, the loaves of fish, <laughs> um, they said to him, what shall we do that we might work the works of God? And Jesus answered unto him, this is the work of God that you believe on him whom he has sent. There it is. Pretty simple, but the devil wants to make it complicated. And I think we as Christians make it complicated. We probably know this message. I mean, this is probably pretty basic for probably everyone in here. You're like, yeah, Neil, we've heard that 100,000 times. I get it. But it's just, it's just as wrong to be, how could I word this? Justified by self-effort in your salvation as it is to be justified in your self-effort self by sanctification. See, we think we graduate from grace and we move on to religion, right? You got in the right way, but then you're, you know, you got justified the right way, but then a lot of Christians struggle with being sanctified the wrong way. They're like, thank you, Jesus, for saving me. I'll take it from here, right? And then off you go. And that's the confusion. And that's where the abundant life comes in that we'll talk about uh, later. But the next point, Jesus, he mentions that he's the gatekeeper, the shepherd, and he's known by name, or he knows us by name. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. So Jesus is the gatekeeper. No one gets in any other way. He is the exclusive only way. Though he's exclusive, he's inclusive in that he invites everyone into the way. It's kind of funny when you think about it, where Jesus says, hey, broad is the way that leads unto destruction. Narrow is the way that leads unto life. So um, Jesus is, you know where people say all paths lead to God? That seems pretty, pretty narrow-minded when you think about it. Jesus offers two paths. He's like, there's one that leads to life, and there's all these other ways that don't, right? But the world says all paths lead to God. I just think it's contradictory. But no one has a lock pick, lock pick kit good enough or a secret passageway into heaven other than the only way, which is Jesus. Acts 4.12 
neither is there salvation found in any other, for there's none other name under heaven given amongst people whereby we must be saved. The good shepherd knows us by name. You know, like when you think about with sheep and cattle, the, the difference between a shepherd and a cattle rancher, I've said this before, but I'll just bring it up. Pull up the picture of the cow. So that's a brand, right? Oh, I admit it. It probably smells good. I'm kidding. <laughs> so we're known by name. We're not known by number. A cattle rancher, he knows every, all the cattle by the number. More specifically, he knows them by the brand. Right? Do you want to be known by a brand and a number? Speaking of Revelation 13, how do you think the Antichrist, if you can't buy, sell, or get gain, get gas, get bread, get paid from your job without the mark of the beast, which is a number, that sounds kind of interesting. A shepherd knows people, he knows people. He knows the sheep by name, not by number. I think, is there another slide about a shepherd? Is that the next one? I, I forget. No, go back. I'm sorry. No, turn away. Um, so he, he knows us by name, and here's the difference. A cattle rancher drives. Yeah, yeah, mandate, mandate. Yeah, yeah. You know, number, number, kill. Slaughter. <laughs> Whereas a shepherd out, is out in front and he leads them. He would not have any, he would not lead the sheep to do something or to go somewhere where he himself wouldn't go or think it's safe for them. Difference between a, a, a shepherd or a cattle rancher. Who do you want guiding your life? The good shepherd or cattle rancher, although I like me a good western. Who doesn't? So this next one, go ahead and show that, that next slide. In school, I had to watch a, a movie called The Stanford Prison Experiment. It was based off of an experiment done um, from a psychology professor at Stanford University. And in the early 70s, um, they gathered students. And it was the experiment. They flipped a coin to see who was going to be prisoner or guard in the experiment. They made a mock uh, prison situation. But to kick it all off, they would go and arrest these students at their homes in front of their neighbors. They would arrest them and charge them with false crimes because they're innocent. It's just an experiment. And then they would take them to the prison. And then all hell breaks loose in this experiment. You can watch this movie. It's, it's, it was made in 2015. Um, and so in this, they're conditioning them by not their name, but their number. It's very interesting, the psychology behind this. And they're saying, who are you? And they'd say, you know, I'm John Smith. No, you're not. You're number 52137. And then they'd have to break it. At first, they didn't think it was serious. So the students, you know, they're like, <laughs> no, I'm not. You know, and, they, and they're, they're, they're making light of it because they think it's an experiment. But then it turns from experiment to where they're thinking, is this real? 
and they're practically losing their mind. Very interesting. The main takeaway that they shut this program down, and the main takeaway that we, that we do today from this experiment, what we learned from this is that when you're going to do an experiment on people, you need to give them informed consent. This is what we take away from this. So like if you go to, to do like a, a medical experiment, doing this new drug, um, they have to give you an informed consent and you have to be super informed. Part of informed consent is that you are, you are cognizant of all of the conditions and the potential risks and if you want to opt out of it, you can. You're free to opt out of it. And you're free to participate. And so I just think it's interesting that through this whole thing, that through this experiment, um, they just did not have informed consent. They were known, they dehumanized them. They were known by number and not by name. I'll let you make your own conclusions as to what you think might be a micro-experiment versus a macro-experiment. Let you decide. But you need informed consent if you're going to be a part of an experiment. That's what we know. I just want you guys to be informed that you have the right to be fully informed and give consent. It's at the top. Yep. Stanford Prison Experiment. So uh, moving along here, verses 4 and 5, Jesus mentions following, knowing, and then not knowing. When he, was when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, because he's a good shepherd, and the sheep follow him, and they know his voice, and the stranger they will not follow, um, but they will flee from the stranger, for they do not know the voice of the strangers. In fact, they're very timid. They're very reluctant, uh, sheep are. And so if you think about following Christ, all of us who are Christians who name the name of Jesus, we want to follow the Lord Jesus, right? That's our intention. We want to follow Jesus. 1 Peter 2.21 puts it this way, For even hereunto were you called, because Christ has suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps. And they wrote a whole book on that. Charles Sheldon, I think, Following in His Steps is where we get What Would Jesus Do? That WWJD bracelet came from that book. Not the bracelet, but the phrase. Um, following in his steps, right? We all want to. Ephesians 5.1. But you therefore, uh, followers of God as dear children, walk in love as Christ has also loved us. We want to follow God. We want to follow the Lord. But the difference between Jesus asking the disciples to follow him around, all around Israel and the Holy Land, and following Jesus now is that what? Back then, Jesus lived outside of them, this side of the cross, where does Jesus live? Inside of us. So when Jesus got up from Bethany and went to Jerusalem and said, hey, you guys, follow me. Hey, Peter. Hey, John. Let's go up to this mountain and pray. Follow me. They would literally have to follow an external Jesus. Because Jesus went to the cross and he paid for all of your sins, when he forgave you of all of your sins, he filled you with his righteous life. Now, this side of the cross, when Jesus says, follow him, 
it's not an external follow, like I'm, like I'm following a set of rules over here, or something over here, or uh, someone down over there. No, I'm following the leading of the internal relationship I have with the Lord Jesus internally. And you need no one to teach you about that. You have the anointing which abides in you, which we talked about in Sunday school. He's in you, and he wants to lead you. So we all want to be followers of Jesus, but knowing Jesus relationally and intimately helps us to discern between if we follow a false shepherd or the good shepherd. Um, Jen, my, Jen would remember this. I, years ago, Jerry Benjamin, that spoke at our church, gave the example of his, I think it was his uncle or his grandpa that was in New Zealand. Do you remember that example? Yeah. yeah? And he, he said his, his uncle or grandpa, whoever it was, would go out, um, and he had a bunch of sheep, and he would make this certain sort of yodel. I don't, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> But he'd make this certain sort of yodel, and the sheep would come. And he was spending the summer with his, with his uncle or grandpa. And one, one morning, he thought he'd get up before his uh, uncle and try to, like, call the sheep. And he said he got up, and he tried to do it just like his uncle did. And the sheep didn't come. They were kind of like, like, who's that yodeling yahoo, Right? Because they didn't know his voice. Even though he had good intentions, they didn't know the voice of this little shepherd wannabe, right? This imposter trying to be his uncle when he wasn't. And I think for us too, we will not follow, listen, or be led astray when we focus on the voice of the good shepherd. But if you're not familiar with his voice, how are you going to discern when you hear another voice is try to imitate the voice of the good shepherd? Right? That's kind of a good question. The best way to know the difference between the voice of the good shepherd and the voices of the false shepherds and the the false prophets and the false teachers and the false media and the fake news is to intimately know and to spend time with the Lord Jesus. Because the more you spend time with the Lord Jesus, the more you get get familiar with his voice. But if you don't spend any time with Jesus, you're not going to be able to like pick pick up his nuances and the special way that he communicates to you, you're not going to pick it up because you're not spending time. So to know the voice of the Good Shepherd, we must be in the Good Shepherd's book, which is the Bible, praying, listening, right? And then we get acquainted and familiar. And then when a contrary voice comes along, we're like, nope, that doesn't match the voice that I'm, I, I'm familiar with. And so you won't follow it. You won't, you won't, uh, you won't fall prey to it. Second Peter also gives this warning. He says, there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you. And I think it's interesting how he delineates between prophets and teachers. It's almost as if he's saying, yeah, back in the Old Covenant, a bunch of false prophets, but in the New Covenant, a bunch of false teachers. I don't want to make a huge point about that, but it's interesting how he delineates. Who privately will bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that, that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And you're like, yeah, when's that going to happen? I'd love to see that. <laughs> Me too, Dave. <laughs> when's, it, when's it coming? Right? 
maybe sooner, I don't know, I don't know. And many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. Don't be surprised if they're going to malign Christians and speak ill about our faith and attack the Bible and discredit Jesus. I mean, that shouldn't, at this point in life, that shouldn't come as a shock to you. I mean, it's a good thing that people aren't attacking us with the sword. They're attacking us with the keyboard. I mean, are you really afraid of a keyboard warrior? Come on. Really? Ooh, don't get carpal tunnel as you insult me. <laughs> Ooh. How, how's your workout regimen, keyboard warrior? You know, it's like, whatever. And, though, and through covetous they shall, with feigned word, the word feign, I've said it many times, is plastos in the Greek, which means it's plastic and fake words. With feigned words will make merchandise of you. What does that mean? They're going to turn, turn you into prophet, whose judgment now of a long time lingers not, and their damnation slumbers not. Boom, it's coming. You can hear the hoofbeats off in the distance. You know, Clint Eastwood has a new movie out, El Macho. I'm like, really? You're going to ride that horse? There's no, have you seen him? I was trying to tell Chloe, I'm like, he used, him and John Wayne were, in my book, like the pinnacle of Western like icons of the movies. And I saw him in his, like, we watched, a, um, Chloe and I watched a, uh, what is it, when they, preview of the movie. And I'm like, Clint, please, use a stunt double. Don't get on that horse. Verses six and nine, and then we'll, we'll be closed for the day. Where's Debbie? She forgot the communion again. It's okay. <laughs> Jesus said, as often as you do it, he doesn't say when. On oh, my shirt's like got some black stuff on it. Anyways, this figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus uh, again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, they will be saved and go in and out and find pasture. So Jesus is the great I am. He says, I am the door. John records the seven great I, the great I am statements made by Jesus. Uh, do we have those up there? I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and I am the true vine. So all recorded in the Gospel of John. But what Jesus was doing is, in the same way that God was revealing himself to Moses, Jesus is revealing himself to mankind as God in the flesh. He, he's basically saying he, he is the great I am, the, the, the independent, self-existent, uncreated, eternal, um, unlimited one. Right? He, he reports to no one. That's why it's so tempting to become a god because he doesn't have a boss. He doesn't report to a board. He doesn't, he doesn't have any other higher authority. He's it. He's the pinnacle, the zenith, the top. He, you know, he's it. He, and so when he says, I am, there is no other. Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, and God said to Moses, as Moses said, well, if you're going to send me back to Pharaoh who was the great dictator of his day, 
Um, if you're going to send me back to Pharaoh, who can I say that said that it sent me? And God says, I am that I am. I know what you're thinking. I am thinking it too. Thus shalt thou, the kids don't even know. Olive oil. I'm just giving them a sideways hint. They still don't know, maybe. <laughs> he says, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent you. It's the eternal existent one. That's what the word, it's self-existence. That's what I am means. So Jesus will save any and all who trust in him by faith. And you know this, uh, Romans 10, 13, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And then if, if and when you do, you can find pasture, not pastor, but pasture and rest in Christ. So when a shepherd would lead the sheep, right, he would lead them to green pastures. Why? Because that's where they would have health, rest, protection, sustenance, all that's good for them. That's not what an ill-willed false shepherd wants to do. He wants to, like, rob, steal, kill, destroy, and he'll use lies and deceit to lead you to somewhere that's not a green, safe pasture place. Sometimes you wonder, like, who's steering this ship, right? Where are you, where, where are you guys leading us? Where's this going? Doesn't look like a green, doesn't sound like the voice of the good shepherd because it doesn't look like we're going to green pastures. Looks like we're going to a slaughter, <laughs> right? I'm chuckling and you're not. <laughs> like, quit scaring me, Neil. Where are we going? <laughs> well, you're, you have your own autonomy. You have your own agency in you and Jesus. Listen to his voice. What's he telling you? Listen, be in tune, spend time in the book. Get to know the good shepherd and he'll tell you. Matthew, um, when a person receives Christ, they get all of the acceptance, the value, the love, and they want to live in peace, and they want to have rest. And when they receive Christ, they get all of it. Matthew, you know this. Jesus has the great invitation. Come unto me. He's not inviting unto a place. Look, when, when, when uh, I think it's in, yeah, it's Psalm 23. He'll lead them unto still waters and green pastures. That, to me, who is the water of life? Jesus. Who is the bread of life where you get food? Jesus, right? So the, past, the Jesus is the shepherd when he leads you to the green pasture. He's, it's an invitation unto himself. It's because it's not to a place, it's to a person. So he says, come unto me, not to a place, to a person. All you that labor and are heavy laden, your years have been stolen. You're, you're, you know, you've been robbed of like, of peace, of like uh, emotional peace. You've been robbed of um, not being anxious and having anxiety. And he says, "I'll give you rest. Take my yoke. Lo yoke up with Jesus. Right. Connect yourself to Him. Learn of Me. That's growing in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm meek. Don't don't." Don't mistake meekness for weakness. He's coming, and he destroys the Antichrist with the brightness of his coming. He doesn't even have to, 
eat spinach and be like, <laughs> he doesn't have to do that. The, the great I am doesn't need spinach. He created spinach. <laughs> but when he comes back, he's, yeah, he's meek, but he has all power. And he destroys the brightness. He just says a word. The sword goes out of his mouth. And it's done. You shall find rest unto your souls. What's your soul? It's your thinker. It's your feeler. How are you coping? You know, in therapy, I ask people a lot. You scaling a lot. Scale of 1 to 10. Scale of this to that. But people have a lot of different ways they cope to manage stress, anxiety, depression, all happening in your soul. People have a lot of different ways they, they try to manage it. Overeating, over shopping, over drinking, over medicating, over stimulating. Um, you know, there's psychologists out there much smarter than we are that know, they'll, they'll give you alternatives uh, to cope with your soul so long as it's not Christ. They know. They know how to get you to be addicted to their coping mechanism. They want to turn you into merchandise like we were reading about earlier. But Jesus says, his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Amen. That's an invitation to you, even as a Christian, but it's an invitation to all those who have not yet received Christ to have him as eternal life. But this is an invitation for you to know about him and experience him and to learn of him. You already have eternal life, but this is more for your daily life. Amen.